0: Welcome to the first episode of the Market Matters podcast for 2022. I'm Khatija Haq, Chief Economist and Head of Research at MRSMBD. And I'm joined today by my colleague, Edward Bell, Senior Director for Market Economics. Hi, Ed.
1: Hi, Khatija. Happy New Year.
0: And to you as well. It's been quite a start to the year with the record high coronavirus cases globally, volatile markets, and a much more hawkish Fed. Let's start with a look at the latest U.S. employment data, which was released on Friday. What are the big takeaways from the December non-farm payrolls?
1: Yeah, as you say, we had the final employment report for 2021 come out uh, at the start of the year, and we saw that there was about 199,000 jobs added in the U.S. in December. Now, that was a little, well, that actually came in quite a bit under market expectations, which we're looking for something on the order of about 450,000, but we did see some upward revisions to the levels for October and November. And I think that really speaks to the fact that the US economy was ending 2021 with some very strong momentum in the labor market that we had seen really throughout the course of the year. Now, while we did get that miss on the headline number in terms of uh, the net change in jobs, Most of the rest of the report still looked pretty good, so the headline unemployment rate actually fell below 4% for the first time since the pandemic began in 2020, and we had a better than expected increase in average hourly earnings, which were up about 0.6% month on month in December, and up 4.7% from 2020 levels. We also had some strong evidence from the Household Survey of Employment, which looks a little bit, uh, the labor market, a little bit differently than the NFP, which includes things like farm workers, self-employed people, privately employed workers, that the labor market is in very strong form. And I don't think there was anything that we saw in this report that would derail the Fed from its kind of renewed focus on inflation, which we saw alluded to pretty explicitly in the minutes from the uh, December FOMC. So you'd probably expect to see some impact of the Omicron variant of COVID-19 on employment data. We didn't really get much of it from the December print. We'll probably see more of an effect in the January report, which is going to be out in a couple of weeks, with sectors like hospitality, uh, travel-related jobs likely to take a hit. But that could actually lend some more support to the view that the labor market in the US is still quite tight uh, amid little movement on the overall participation rate. And that could probably still help to support the narrative that wages are going to be increasing even more this year.
0: Right. So potentially the rise in COVID cases that we've seen over the last few weeks in the US would increase absenteeism. For example, people not being able to go to work because they've either tested positive or they are in quarantine. So that still means that when employers are looking for people They may not be able to find uh, anyone to to do the work that needs to be doing, and that then potentially feeds into higher wage growth, which is something that we've seen uh, the Fed pay closer attention to. So what does the the data mean? So let's say we do get a disappointing January um, jobs number. Uh, How would the Fed look at that, and what does that mean for um, their policy going forward?
1: yeah, I think one thing we we might actually end up seeing is a little bit of a a reversal in terms of the Fed language where we had this narrative over all of twenty twenty one that inflation was transitory, that is going to be worked off. it's It's all about the reopening of the economy. Uh, and I think a lot of that still kind of holds true, but ultimately, it does look like the Fed is more worried about uh, inflation being stuck in for a long time. I think in terms of how they're going to look at the employment numbers, they might say that the kind of disruptions to uh, the labor market that we're seeing right now, or we'll probably start to see for the January numbers when they come in, that might be transitory. So the fact that people could be out of work for, uh, or the impact of the Omicron variant could be maybe a three to six week kind of uh, impact on the labor market, but then going forward, the labor market conditions in the U.S. still look strong enough to support those wage growth growth kind of expectations. So our expectation at this stage is still that the Fed is going to be uh, hiking rates at least three times in 2022, um, based on where we are with the labor market and to try and grapple with some of the inflationary pressures. I think the question is really less, will the Fed hike? That's really, as as I mentioned, probably given, but more of a question as to whether three hikes is actually going to be enough. Markets have already started to price in uh, a March hike and basically given the Fed a free pass to do that. And several policymakers have also come out in support of that view.
0: Okay, so potentially the Fed does more than the three rate hikes that we've sort of penciled in for, for 2022. Um what would this mean for financial markets what does it mean for the US dollar we we obviously saw the dollar rally um in the second half of 2021 as we were seeing a strong improvement in the US economy and there was talk about the Fed potentially being behind the curve and needing to accelerate the the pace of tapering and potentially raise rates sooner so are we going to continue to see further strengthening in the dollar or do you think Uh, we simply sort of um, stabilize it at where
1: we are. Yeah, well, I think we certainly started the year with quite a lot of volatility in financial markets. Um, If you look at the bond market in particular, and that's not just exclusive to US markets, it's really something that I think we're seeing across all developed market bonds is that they are selling off in anticipation, both that, yes, the Fed is going to be sort of leading the push in terms of interest rate hikes, but that other central banks are going to be following suit later on in the year. So we had the prospect of a kind of wholesale shift from the extraordinary loose and accommodative policy that was adopted during the pandemic to a much more hawkish uh, and contractionary policy that's really seeming to hit home much harder in markets now with sell-offs in those bond markets and equity markets as well. Um, Now, we had been expecting to see that US Treasury yields were going to be rising this year in line with high inflation, uh, an improving economy and a tighter Fed but we've had a very sharp jump just in the first full trading week of the year with a 10-year yield in the U.S. Treasuries gaining as much as 25 basis points. And they've actually moved above the peak level that we saw in Q1 2021 um, already. Now, there is potential for a little bit of downward adjustment in treasury yields. For instance, if we had a kind of very sharp risk-off move, so if people got out of uh, higher risk assets like emerging market bonds or currencies or some of the kind of more exposed uh, equities, And that could see a bid for US treasuries and bring yields down uh, somewhat. But over the course of the year, we do still expect to see yields moving higher, and probably a bad year for developed market bonds. Now, what goes with higher yields, particularly in relatively nominal terms compared with things like uh, yields on boons or JGBs is a higher dollar, as you said. Last year, the dollar showed that big turnaround from starting the year with expectations of some weakness as the US seeming was uh, dragging its feet a little bit in terms of getting vaccines rolled out and the potential for economies like the Eurozone to actually outperform the US. But that didn't really materialize over the course of the year. And we had that strong dollar performance. And we expect that a lot of that is still going to hold true for 2022, particularly in the first half when the dollar is going to probably outperform against peers like euro and yen, with the full weight of the Fed pushing towards hiking, um, potentially leading to um, some dollar outperformance against other kind of risk oriented currencies, say the Aussie dollar or emerging market currencies in particular. Now, the second half of the year, though, could be a little bit of a different story if we see some kind of a policy convergence uh, from central banks like the ECB, uh, or the Bank of Japan, if they start to get more serious about the prospects for inflation. Uh, And while we don't necessarily see them tightening policy via rates going higher uh, this year, they could at least start to comment about it a lot more uh, assuredly. And that could start, help to narrow the, the divergence between them and the and the, uh, and the the Fed and help potentially see the euro or, or Japanese yen start to improve a little bit against the dollar by the end of this year. Now, I think if we, you know, take that kind of broader global outlook, we can probably distill it a little bit down for our region as well. Um, of course, here in the UAE and other economies across the GCC, we are still exposed to um, the ebbs and flows of US monetary policy. And if we have this uh, narrative where the Fed is going to be raising rates as, as much as three times this year, uh, consequently, the UAE is going to be taking that policy. Uh, Katija, how do you feel that the domestic economy is actually shaped up to be able to absorb those higher interest rates?
0: So we've actually ended 2021 in a fairly strong position, uh, I think, in the UAE and the wider region. So if we look at the latest PMI surveys, which we had recently for December, uh, when you look at the quarterly average for uh, Q4 2021, um, it suggests that we've seen the strongest growth in about two years uh, at the end of of 2021. And that's really quite encouraging, particularly when you look at the breakdown and you can see that a lot of it is coming from domestic demand within the UAE. Uh, We have also seen a recovery in international tourism, Um, So when we look at the international visitor numbers for Dubai, for example, we've got data through November. When we look at November 21, we see that the number of people coming into uh, Dubai um, to stay for a couple of nights or longer is around 76% of where we were in November 2019. So that shows a really strong rebound in international tourism, at least relative to Uh, The first half of 2021, when we still had a lot of travel restrictions in place, we've also seen that improvement echoed in hotel occupancy numbers in Dubai and also a big jump in what hotels are able to charge um, their guests as well. So I think overall, um, the hospitality sector had a very strong November, December season and we would expect some softening in the first quarter of this year because of the spread of the Omicron variant and the tightening of some travel restrictions, uh, as well as people choosing simply not to travel uh, during this period when there is uh, such a big uh, increase in the number of cases. So when we look at the UAE then, you know, Q4 was, was pretty solid. What are we expecting for 2022? We think The fundamentals for the UAE are still very constructive. We expect the recovery to continue um, through this year, but clearly in the near term, there are some headwinds. And as you you mentioned, we have to move in line with the US Federal Reserve. So as the Fed raises rates this year, um, borrowing costs in the UAE and the rest of the, the GCC will increase as well. Now, clearly, that's not helpful um, in supporting growth, but it's important to recognize that interest rates are close to zero to start with. So even if we see a 75 basis points or a 1 percentage point move this year, the absolute level of interest rates is still much lower than we were, say, in 2018. Um, At the same time, we've got government budgets in a much stronger position now than they were over the last two or three years We're expecting oil prices to average around $68 a barrel, which is not that far off from where we were in 2021. So, there is space for further investment by the public sector. And we've also, of course, had a raft of structural reforms announced in the GCC over the last year. And that's likely to again support investment um, in the private sector and also um, FDI, uh, particularly into the UAE and Saudi Arabia. So, I think. While high interest rates are going to raise the cost of borrowing, I don't think it'll be prohibitively high um, to the extent that it will actually um, change the course of, of what we're expecting in terms of growth.
1: Right. So if we've got that domestic story that looks pretty good and certainly can be supported by the government spending, as you, as you say. One of those other variables, and it's probably really kind of more acutely felt in an economy that's really quite open and services oriented like Dubai, is what is the, the threat uh, to growth that a much stronger dollar and consequently a stronger Durham would pose for the UAE's economy this year? Uh, you, you outlined the very strong recovery that we had in hospitality, for instance, notwithstanding some of the disruptions we've had over the last, say, month and a half. Um, But if we have the UAE becoming relatively more expensive for a lot of the kind of core source markets um, of of visitors coming in, is that a bit of a headwind to the growth outlook for 2022?
0: Yes, potentially that is. Um, So when we look at the breakdown of Dubai's economy based on the official GDP numbers, around three quarters of Dubai's GDP comes from services. Um, And because the currency is pegged, when the dollar strengthens, those services become relatively more expensive when compared to some other markets. Uh, And again, as you say, because so many of our visitors to Dubai come from emerging market economies, um, the tourism and hospitality sector is particularly sensitive to that loss of competitiveness. Now, one way for businesses to get around this is for them to offer discounts and incentives and effectively reduce their selling prices. In order to offset the the dollar appreciation, um, we have seen this in 2017, 2018, um, and I think it, you know it's something which uh, businesses are probably um, setting themselves up to do. But of course, that has a financial impact uh, on them, particularly if their their costs are still rising. Um, so I think it is going to be a challenge. But again, to it depends to a large extent on how much stronger the dollar gets this year. I think if we uh, remain broadly where we are, um, so far, you know, we're still in a a reasonably competitive position. But if we see a significant sell-off, for example, in emerging market currencies, then I think it will deter a lot of visitors from those countries from coming to Dubai because it suddenly becomes more expensive for them to do so.
1: Right. I mean, if we take maybe a a slightly longer kind of time frame, maybe kind of eighteen months to the next twenty four months, we've had a as you as you outlined a very strong recovery in the domestic economy here in the UAE, based on the, the kind of metrics that we can ascertain from the travel and hospitality sector, or really any sector. And even anecdotally, I think anybody here in the UAE would say that things are are seemingly quite busy. Uh, if anybody's trying to get a taxi in UAE uh, at this time of year. What's the kind of turning point, though, do you think that, that the UAE, UAE economy can say, well, we've, we've kind of gone past the pandemic, or we can sort of talk about it uh, much more in a past tense? We've always had a very strong rollout of vaccines here across the UAE, helping to support that um, ability to stay open to the rest of the world. But where is it the point that we can really sort of put a, put a final point on the, the pandemic for us?
0: I think that's a hard question to answer uh, because there's so many moving parts to that, not just in the UAE, but in the global economy as well. But I think um, if we look at where we've come so far, I don't think that the UAE economy has fully recovered from the contraction in 2020. So when we look at the GDP decline in 2020, it was in the region of around 6%. The rebound in 2021 is probably in the non-oil sector around three and a half percent. So just looking at those numbers, it tells us that we still have a ways to go in terms of getting back to pre-pandemic levels. But having said that, you know we we don't expect a reimposition of um, the strict lockdown measures that we saw in 2020 again in this region, uh, because even though the case numbers are rising and Omicron clearly is a near-term risk, the the fundamentals are looking much better. So when you look at things like the vaccination rates, not just in the UAE, but in the wider GCC region, they are very high relative to a lot of other uh, emerging markets and developing uh, economies. We also have new treatments for COVID, um, which should help to keep the hospitalisation and the death rate much lower than in the first two waves uh, that we we had um, from 2020 onwards. So I think, you know, we can expect that the UAE economy will remain open. We may still see a slowdown in terms of the tourism recovery because other countries may um, introduce some restrictions on travel. People, as I said, can choose not to travel as much uh, when there's so much uncertainty. But overall, we think the economy remains on track to, to recovery. One of the other um, big differences now relative to last year or the year before is that there's been a marked shift in terms of the structural reforms and the speed with which they've been announced and and implemented. So over the last year, we've had a number of uh, changes to foreign ownership laws. We've had changes to visa regulations. We've had a relaxation um, of rules around working Uh, remotely in in another country, but based in the UAE. We've had a number of other initiatives that have been rolled out to make it easier for people to um, base themselves in the UAE, even if they don't have a formal um, job. And so I think those sorts of um, initiatives, as well as the continued investment that the UAE government can make in the strategic sectors that they've identified, should support a non oil sector growth story over the next two to five years, almost regardless of what happens with um, with COVID and with Omicron. Um, but we are also reasonably optimistic that, you know, the wave that we're seeing currently probably won't be sustained um, for, for very long. We think this is uh, something which uh, hopefully we will see plateau and fall quite quickly. At least that's what the evidence from South Africa and some of the other countries Um, is suggesting. So the near-term risks are there, the near-term headwinds are there, but I think if we look ahead to the next year or two, the fundamentals um, for the UAE and indeed for the rest of the region are looking much stronger than they have been um, over the last two or three years. Okay, I think that's um, probably uh, enough to be getting on with in terms of, of starting the year and the outlook for what we're expecting in 2022. Um, As we've discussed, there are a lot of um, things which could change the views. There's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of um, moving parts which could uh, impact not just what happens in our region, but also what happens in some of the the bigger economies as well. Um, As always, we will be continuing to monitor uh, developments and we will be updating our views in our written reports and through this podcast We hope that you've enjoyed uh, the podcast and we look forward to uh, speaking to you again in the coming weeks.